God's Word. Dear people of God, the importance of these passages, these truths that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to his disciples, are of the utmost importance. No doubt we've, read the, we've heard the passage read before, we know what it says, and we might even think nothing that new. We know what that passage said, we've heard it before. But let me remind you how important this passage is, because it's in this passage that the Lord Jesus Christ says to his beloved apostle, get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not mind the things of, uh, of God, but the things of men. Clearly this truth was vital in the minds of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in the latter part of the passage, the Lord Jesus Christ again makes very clear why this is so important, because he says, if you don't take up your cross, if you don't deny yourself, if you don't follow me, it's not that you're going to struggle in the Christian life. It's, it's that you're not going to be my disciple. You can't be my disciple. It's an impossibility. And therefore, we have to understand exactly who the Lord Jesus Christ is. I mean, for God the Father to break in and audibly make this statement, this truth, you remember they went on to the Man of Transfiguration after this chapter. So all of these passages are, are driving home this truth. And so when Peter says, Oh Lord, it's good that we're here, and we're going to make three booths, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses, it was such a pivotal mistake that God the Father spoke from heaven through the clouds and said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And so this message needs to be brought home to each and every one of us. We need to know this. This is such a, such a basic truth that without it we cannot really be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think it doesn't have an impact in the churches, let me remind you in 1 Corinthians where they were divided. And some were saying, well, I'm of Paul. Some were saying, I'm of Peter. I'm of Apostle. And some were saying, I'm of Christ. Now, you might have thought, well, at least they got it right. But did they? Did they? Was Jesus Christ one of many? Did they not chide the others and say, how dare you say I'm of Paul, I'm of Apostle? What an abhorrent thing to say. No. They put in their vote. Oh, I'm of Christ. Like Peter. Let's build three tabernacles. No, they had struggle in the churches. In fact, even his disciples. You remember when they were walking along and they were discussing something and Jesus was ahead and later on he says, um, what, was, what was the commotion about? What were you talking about? What were you discussing? And nobody wanted to say anything. Because you know what they were discussing? Who among them was the greatest? No, these struggles appear 
in our Christian lives. And we need to be clear as to what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching in this passage. And so the Lord Jesus Christ raises that issue. In a, in a seemingly innocent kind of question, um, not so much focused on them so that they wouldn't be intimidated, the, the Lord Jesus Christ says, well, who do, who do people say that I am? I mean, it's, it's a different thing when I say, well, who do you think I am? Then we feel under pressure, right, to get it right. But no, Jesus kind of lifts the pressure and says, who do people say that I am? And so they bring the common responses. Well, um, some say that you are Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Remember, Herod, Herod uh, thought it was John the Baptist. The Lord Jesus Christ was John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That's how much his conscience bothered him. But people did too. Others said that he was Elijah, because after all, the Old Testament says Elijah had to come first. And they thought that he was Elijah. And some of the other uh, Gospels tell us that some thought he was Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. That's what the word was on the street. And that's the way it is in our day and age too. People have all kinds of ideas about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Not only in the world, I mean we expect that, but even in the church. Even in the church. Uncertainty in their minds. And so he's a good teacher. He's a prophet. No, he's more than that. And so we have to be very careful that we present that true message of the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ to people. That they understand that they're not in any doubt. They may not believe it, but they ought to know what the church believes and the Bible teaches, they need to know that according to the scriptures in our confession, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so having asked them that question, of course, now Jesus turns to them more particularly and says, so who do you think I am? And now, of course, the pressure is on. What were they going to say about the Lord Jesus Christ? If truth be told, they probably believed some of the things they had already said. That's who he was. I mean, they were confused. They, the Lord Jesus Christ did many things, and they were like, they were shocked. When he calmed the waters and the wind, and they said, What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. No, they hadn't come to that understanding in terms of who the Lord Jesus Christ truly was. And so there they are standing before him. And then Peter speaks and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. But more than that, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Which is amazing, 
confession. But where did he get it from? Was it that he was so astute? That he was so much better than others? That he came to the truth from the scriptures? Well, not according to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, to say such a thing, that you are the Messiah. I mean, the Jews were looking for a Messiah. Many false ones had come, claiming to be the, be the Messiah. And all these years and centuries had gone by, and now he's making this claim, that he is the Messiah, the Christ. But even more amazingly, that he is the Son of God. He's not a prophet. He's not like Moses. He's not an instrument in God's hands in terms of being a human. No, this is God coming down. The Son of God. This is a crucial part of true faith. There cannot be saving faith without this being the central tenet of our belief. You can't be a disciple. You can't have true faith. Without, with all of your heart, mind, and strength, confessing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you can't do it yourself. You will not come to that conclusion after a study of God's Word. You won't come to it because you reflect upon these things and, and think about these things and weigh them up in your mind or not. You'll never come to this conclusion. You may be able to say it with words, but not believe it in your heart. Because the Lord Jesus Christ says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is how... Tremendous this truth is and vital uh, for our spiritual well-being that God has to reveal it to us. He has to work it in our minds and hearts. And so if you think it's easy just to say, well, Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God, then perhaps we really don't know what that means. It grabs your heart and your life. And God has to work it in our hearts. He has to enlighten us because we would never come to that conclusion just as we would never believe the gospel in and of ourselves. It's a work of the Spirit. It's God that enables us. Now God is the one by His grace and by His Spirit that opens to us this glorious understanding that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God, the infinite God, the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, humbled himself, took on human nature, and came and dwelt among us. Not just visited us, not just did a work and then went back. No, stayed with us. Was not ashamed to be in our midst. To face the struggles and the pain of living in this world, fallen as it is. If we, think, if we think we are vexed, 
by the things that are going on all around us and the things that we see and experience. Just imagine what it was for the Lord Jesus Christ in whom was no sin. But for our sakes, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. But can we echo Peter's words? Can we say with all of our heart that I stand with Peter, I own those words that he spoke, and I mean it with all of my heart and with all of my strength and mind? Without that, you cannot be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then Jesus strictly warned the disciple that they should tell no one about him, namely that he was Jesus uh, Christ, the Son of the living God. And you think, well, why? <laughs> I mean, if it's so important, why wouldn't we go out and tell everyone? Why would you be restricting us in proclaiming this truth? Well, I put forward this reason is even though they said it and they meant it, they really didn't understand its application yet. As the passage itself teaches us. Did Peter really understand what it meant when he said Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God, in terms of application? Apparently not. Apparently not. He was going to rebuke him in a few minutes. I mean, how did those two things go together? When Peter was going to go out and tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ, was he going to tell them that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God, and therefore we obey him in everything? Well, obviously not, because he didn't. He thought he could disagree with Christ. Not only disagree, but rebuke the Lord Jesus Christ. Are those the kind of followers that we want to bring into the kingdom of God by our teaching them? No, absolutely not. No, they weren't ready to take this message to the people in a correct way and apply it correctly because they weren't applying it in their own hearts yet. They needed to wait and see God's redemptive acts accomplished before their very eyes. They needed to submit to him fully, to understand what it means that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ wanted them to wait, even with all the miracles he did. He didn't want them to go going around proclaiming it, because why? What would they do? They would go out and say, we've found this great healer. But is that the message you wanted to put out? No. No, they had to wait. And so we read that the Lord Jesus Christ began to teach them. I mean, if anything was going to test their understanding, uh, true understanding and application of this truth that had been revealed to them, the Lord Jesus Christ lays this out. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days he would rise again. 
and, and, the, and the Scriptures tell us that he, he spoke openly. In other words, it wasn't a secret. He spoke openly. Everyone could hear what he was saying. How are they going to respond to that? Here was the divine plan. Here was the plan of the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that had just been um, uh, witnessed to by Peter, that he was going to be sacrificed, that he would give his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, and he would bodily be resurrected as an authentication of our justification. How would Peter respond to that? How would the, all the, the rest of the apostles respond to that? Was there a submission to him? Well, not exactly. Do we truly understand the plan of salvation? Is the sacrificing of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? How do we see our sinful lives? How do we see sin? How terrible it is that the Son of God must bear that penalty for us on the cross. The gospel is life and death issue. Is what we understand what Jesus says about salvation? Is that what we believe? Well, we read, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Not ask questions. Not saying, Lord, I don't really understand what you're saying. It doesn't, it doesn't I, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Can you help me understand? That's not what he said. That's not what he said. He had it all worked out in his mind. What Jesus said didn't make sense at all. And therefore, they were not going to follow that plan. And so he takes him aside, begins to rebuke him, and says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. In other words, what I've heard you say is not going to happen. I'm not going to allow it to happen. It cannot happen. It doesn't make sense. We're not going to go down that path. We're not going to go to Jerusalem. We're not going to allow you to be arrested. Do you remember he took out a sword and tried to defend the Lord Jesus Christ? He wouldn't, I mean, he was getting in the way. In the way of the Lamb of God laying down his life for us. I mean, what more central truth would an enemy of the gospel attack than that? And he was. We're not going to do it. We're not going to follow you. We're not, in fact, we're not even going to allow it to happen to you. We're going to have to take over. He is no longer their leader. When we sin, that's what we're doing. When we deviate from God's law, that's what we're doing. We're saying, we're not going to go down that way. That's not a good thing to do. We're going to go our own way. That's a denial 
of this confession that he is a Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, without much reflection, or, as I said, a request for clarity from the Lord, rejects Christ and his plan. It was not a modification. It was not a slight change. It was a complete overall, a complete rejection of that. In the words of the Old Testament, exactly who is this? Who is this guy that's going to counsel God? Remember, that's what, said, what was said of Job when he was so adamant that he wanted an audience with God so that he could lay out his reasoning. And God said, who is this? And he begins to ask Job all kinds of questions just to check out his credentials. And he realized how foolish it was. And Peter placed himself in that boat, rejecting the wonderful plan of redemption that we all rejoice in and we marvel at. But left to Peter, he would have nixed it. He would have stopped it. He would have rejected it. Can you see that the dichotomy between do those, uh, those two things? Saying he's a Christ, the son of the living God, and then rebuking him and saying, no, we're not going to do that? Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We may in our weak moments respond to God's word in this dis dismissive way. But to persist in it is a sure sign that we do not understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We don't understand what his word is. As John clearly teaches, he is the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't come from this earth. He came from heaven. He has to increase. He has to be heard. We have to follow. We have to submit to him. And to drive that truth home, here we have Peter standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ physically turns away from Peter. So he's facing his disciples, the very ones that are, were likely to be led astray if the Lord Jesus Christ allowed Peter to have his way. So he turns his back on Peter and he's addressing everyone, including Peter, of course. And he says those words. Get thee behind me, Satan. And if you want to know how serious an error Peter was committing then you only have to look at the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meek and mild, loving. But this was so dangerous that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted him to understand in no uncertain words. And so he does it by using these words, Get thee behind me, Satan. For what you're saying, you, you don't care about the things of God. You're not valuing the things of God. You're not respecting the things of God. You're respecting the things of men. I mean, what a shock that must have been for the Apostle Peter to hear that. 
I mean, he'd heard the Lord Jesus Christ say to them, Oh, ye of little faith. But now to hear these words, Get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, how wrong was he? What a terrible error he had made. What a hole he had fallen into and was leading others to fall into that error. And the Lord Jesus Christ wants everyone to know that. Not that he doesn't love, love Peter, not that. Not that he doesn't want to correct him, it's not that. Not that he wants to reject him as an apostle now because of what he said, no. But this truth had to be established beyond a shadow of a doubt. And the error that had been committed in what Peter said had to be exposed. This is from the devil himself. These are Satan's words. You're a mouthpiece of Satan at this point in terms of what you have just said. And I'll have none of it. The Lord Jesus Christ was never going to allow that. Peter's error had to be publicly rejected so that others would not follow suit. In the same way that the Apostle Paul publicly uh, responded to Peter when he was undermining the assurance of Gentile Christians in Galatia by withdrawing his fellowship because he was intimidated by people that came from Jerusalem. And Paul called him out publicly to his face, that it was a hypocrisy, hypocrisy. And to his credit, he accepted that. He didn't fight Paul as he didn't fight the Lord Jesus Christ in what was said. No, there was true faith, but he needed to learn and understand what that meant, how to exercise that, how to walk, and not only in this passage then is that forcefully brought to the fore, but the Lord Jesus Christ follows that up. And we're not going to go into that, but simply to mention that, and you can think about it in your own time, that the Lord Jesus Christ goes on to talk about, if you, if you don't deny yourself, which Peter didn't in this case, because he thought he was so right, if you don't deny yourself, even when it comes to being persecuted and, and burdened, take up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be his disciple. You cannot be his disciple. That's what Christianity is. It's not you using your intellect and wisdom and deciding what to, what to follow and what not to follow and modifying the Word of God as you see fit. No, it's not that. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever the Word of God says, we follow. We don't pull back. We're not ashamed of the Word of God. We don't distance ourselves from God's Word when society around us doesn't like it. We're not to melt into the, into the world as churches are doing. We have to stand apart so that the truth of God's Word can be seen and we can be a light and a salt to the world all around us. No, we're not to succumb to the world. Whatever they do, we have to stand firm. We have to follow Him. Whatever thing, 
things that you, you think you might gain, and that's the way sometimes people um, address us when it comes to these kinds of arguments. Oh, we want, we want the world to hear us. We want them to, you know, be, feel good about us. By changing the Word of God? By disagreeing with the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, the Hebrews were like that in the book of Hebrews. They wanted to go back to the Hebrew, the, the Old Testament way of doing things because then they wouldn't be in, in uh, collision with the Jews. They wanted to carry on like the Old Testament. And the writer has to, has to argue over and over and over again that you cannot do that. Without Christ, you have nothing. You have absolutely nothing. So we have to stand with him. It doesn't matter what others say and the paths that others take. No, we have to humble ourselves to him. We have to bring every thought captive to Christ. When these churches go astray, why, how do they do that? Because they think their ways are better. And what are their ways? They're the ways of the world. They're following the world. They're following the demonic wisdom of this world. And they don't see it. But it's easier, you see. It's easier. But it's not God-pleasing. So we need to stand firm. We need to understand exactly what God is teaching us. And as I say, if you go on and read the other passage where you give, you're given a drama of this truth, the Lord Jesus Christ is transfigured before them. They see him in all of his glory. And there's Moses and there's Elijah and they're talking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what they're talking about? They're talking about the events that were going to unfold in Jerusalem. Namely, they're talking about his death. And you know what you don't hear? Any debate. They're not arguing with him. They're inquiring. They're excited about what he's going to do. Even the angels inquire into these things. That's what they see. And the glory of heaven is before their eyes. And now we see how hard it is to dislodge this error. Because what does Peter say? Lord, it's good that we're here. I think it's a good idea for us to put three tabernacles. So when people would come in the later years, what would, what would they see? A tabernacle for Moses, a tabernacle for Elijah, and a tabernacle for Christ. That he's one of three? He's one of many? No wonder God thunders from the heavens. This is my beloved son. Hear Him, and only Him. Then we will know the blessings of God. Then we will know the blessings of following Him according to His Word. And whatever comes, whatever difficulties come, whether it's persecution or whatever it is, we will be blessed. And we will honor Him. And I pray that we as churches and our members will be called to that and we will remain faithful for many decades and years to come.